there's there's a film that has um a stunt which goes particularly badly um that takes place on the edge of a cliff in Sweden. Um I'm obviously talking about the Attistuper scene from <laughs> Midsummer. My name is Johnny Knoxville and this is the Attistuper. Yeah, so I I think Midsummer. I think Midsummer would be a good double bill with Unsane. Um have you guys seen Midsummer? I'm of course talking about Midsummer. It is fantastic. It is glorious, and um, you should go see it. It's it's a slow burning, brightly coloured horror movie. It's everything we you want and more from it. And then I yeah. guess go for a little more laissez faire in Midsummer. <laughs> it's just a weird way of saying watch Midsummer because Midsummer's fantastic. There are animals. There's a bear. There's a weird mutant kid in the loft. It's so great. this is the two hours and 20 minute long masterpiece that is Ariaster's Midsummer. Midsummer, of course. We love it. You love it. You love hearing about it. You love watching it. We love watching it. Ariaster's Midsummer. Uh, yeah, Midsummer. Cool. Yeah, that's a great film, isn't it? Mm, really good. Go see the it. one that really jumps out for me is uh, Ariaster's Midsummer. Uh, nice little horror movie. Yep. Beginning, middle, end. Midsummer. Midsummer, the... Ariaster masterpiece that we have spoken about on many an occasion. Um, I think it's a good, good Christmas movie. But it's also the year that Ariaster released uh, his pagan horror masterpiece, Midsummer. They're his sidekicks. The movie's Midsummer, uh, and that is going to be. I think it's going to be Ariaster's Midsummer. Nice, but there right. are no snakes, so you're okay. But there is a bear, but the bear is not on cocaine. It is high off the religious experience of being part of the Haga. I'm, of course, talking about the wonderful, brilliant, amazing, stupendous Midsummer. You know what film is it based on a TV show, Graham? Midsummer. It is, of course, Midsummer. Uh, you know the drill. It's it's great. It's Ariaster. Well, yeah, because I think if you're scared of metallic spiders, the thing you will love is a blood eagle. So my my second choice is Ariaster's 2019 folk horror masterpiece, Midsummer, And that is uh, Ariaster's Midsummer. Well, first of all, I would say to them, well, sort yourself out, you twat. And then I would say, well, fine, go watch Midsummer. And then people slowly get uh, voted out until you have one winner remaining at the end. And that is Ariaster's Midsummer. <laughs> You guys are making a podcast. Ugh, no one asked for this. So welcome to the podcast nobody asked for's Midsummer Special with me, Ian Harris, and usually Graham Jones. But we're doing things a little bit differently this year for reasons which will become very very obvious so i've also just realized that when i'm recording by myself i have a tendency to go really toast of london with it so i'm going to try to not do that this time or to keep stopping recording when i think i've made a mistake because i don't want to live edit this podcast that'll be really really annoying i don't know how people do this by themselves i mean i know i've done an episode by myself before and you know Come on, guys. We know me. I'm going to end up doing another one by myself at some point because I love the sound of my own voice. But, well, I love the sound of my own voice and just the sheer ego boost of Graham not being there to point out to me all of the obvious stupid mistakes I've made. Anyway, I digress. 
I've gone off on a tangent by myself. Fuck me. Anyway, back to the topic at hand. Petros Patsilovus, friend of the podcast and host of Caged In Coppola Connections. Jingle. Did somebody say Caged In Coppola Connections with Petros? Francis. Roman. Sophia. Nicholas Cage. August. Jason Schwartzman. Gia. Adrian from Rocky. I, I, I just love me some Coppola's name. And now also host of Getting Defoe You. We don't have a jingle for that yet. I'm assuming we will. Or we'll just like change it to... You know what? Maybe we just need a Petros jingle. Maybe I'll make that. We'll see. Who, who knows? So, Petros. His name. His name is Petros. And Petros. Petros makes podcasts. Predominantly about Nicolas Cage or Willem Dafoe, but I think he's also guested on some other things, and you know, he's probably got some other very interesting ideas that aren't necessarily actor based, but he's the shit. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. We're here all week. Being the, the king of independent podcasts, managed to get us the details of the art director for Midsummer, Neela Svensson. Because Petros is just the man. Petros also set us up last year with Pavel Porgachelsky. So, you know, I'm just at somewhere. I'm assuming he's got one of those like old school, like the only compa- the only thing I can think of that has it in is the Muppets. Like that, what like 80s businessmen used to have where it's like a dress cards on like a twirly circle thing. I'm clearly not in the, I'm not going to lie. I'm recording this podcast while I'm, I'm on codeine. So... Apologies for whatever happens here. If you want to know why I'm on codeine, just send us a message uh, to our Instagram at the podcast nobody asked for. So Petros set us up with uh, Neela Svensson and uh, Graham and I decided, right, so similar to last year, um, because we've managed to get an interview, what we'll do is we'll then theme the episode around that interview. So last year we had uh, Pavel Porkachelski, who was the cinematographer. So we then did a top three list based on films we would double bill with Midsummer. The idea being that we'd be talking a lot about the look and feel of the movie, which is then something that we would have discussed in the interview. With Neela, the idea was that we would have a top three list based on, you know, favorite piece of art or something like that or uses of art in midsummer have the interview with neela and it'd be very similar to last year things changed however because neela started our interview uh with what is my one of my favorite phrases so we we booked him in for or we'd asked for 30 minutes with him and just before we started recording, he said, I can go on for as long as you guys need me to. So basically, that means we have a 90 minute interview with uh, Neela Svensson. And it is incredible. It is incredible. It is eye opening. And it is easily one of the best things that the podcast Nobody Asked For has been included in. So we're going to take a bit of a sharp turn away from our usual format and this episode is predominantly going to be made up with uh, the interview that we recorded uh, about a month ago now I think back when I had two working knees which seems so long ago 
few the detectives among you there. That's the reason I'm on codeine. So the art in Midsummer is fascinating. There is a meticulous attention to visual detail, symbolism, and the the way that it is integrated in not not just kind of visual art, but various art forms throughout the whole the whole cinematic experience that is Midsummer. Obviously, with a film like Midsummer, which is so visually driven, uh, not only is the cinematography uh, a huge part and a huge influence of what's going on, that's a bit of a hint to listen to last year's episode, but the what is in the frame itself really helps create the world that this cinema, that this film is inhabiting. So, as we've talked about ad nauseum, uh, Midsummer is filmed entirely in sun-drenched Swedish landscapes and countryside. So you have to populate this with something which makes this world seem believable. Because if there's no shadow to hide anything in, there's no shortcuts or anything like that. And as Neela will mention in his interview, Ariast is a director who likes to change things on the fly. So it also means that you can't just decorate one side of a wall you know will be in shot a lot of these houses were so the the dormitory for example uh is basically decorated throughout the whole thing and the people behind the artwork in midsummer for me really comes down to kind of three main people so you had henrik svensson who was the production designer so he was responsible for the production design in midsummer uh, he collaborated with Ari Aster uh, to kind of really create the uh, unique aesthetic um, of the commune and its rituals and just kind of really fill out the world. And then it was his team uh, which created the set designs, murals, tapestries, and all of the other kind of visual elements that uh, adorned the commune. And I, I think really kind of added depth to the the story and what was going on because for me, if, if it didn't feel like a believable world, especially in two and a half hours of bright sunlight, you are going to immediately be taken out of everything. And I think it's that depth which really allows you to not... Obviously, you would connect with these characters anyway, but it's that depth, I think, that makes everything seem that weird mix of real but surreal, which a lot of uh, horror films, and especially Ariaster, seems to play in. Neela Svensson, designer and art director, uh, was part of this team and he was responsible for creating a lot of the really complex material and interpreting kind of this rich mythology um, and creating it for the film. So he talks about this uh, at length in the interview, so I won't kind of go through that anymore. But one thing that I don't think we mention is some of the things that Neela has been involved in are insane. And while we were actually interviewing him, we obviously did uh, kind of our our research, but something passed both Graham and I by because halfway through the interview, I got a WhatsApp message from Graham saying, did you know he was involved in creating the channel identity for MTV UK? So it's just, his work is incredible. I, I would strongly recommend uh checking out his website where he's got a lot of his material on there neela then also worked with ragnar pearson so we did reach out to ragnar to be a part of this podcast but unfortunately he wasn't able to um, but we would love to have him on uh, at some point ragnar did a lot of drew actually drew a lot of the art so the famous midsummer mural which we've talked about before and is literally hanging on my wall uh, behind me 
Uh, well, a print of it is hanging on the wall behind me anyway. Um, so he had, uh, he produced this. He produced a lot of the really weird fucking pictures that are kind of adorning uh, the walls of the dormitory. And he he had his start in, well, that's not, that's not fair, actually. I'm not sure if he had his start, but he has also designed a lot of punk and heavy metal music album covers. And some of them are insane and I have so much time for them. Um, he did one called Total Destruction of the Present Moment by Pig Eyes, and it is fucking insane. So Ragnar was trying to mimic uh, a lot of kind of the old Swedish style from Halsinger, where the, the movie takes place. So a lot of the actual kind of artwork is heavily influenced by kind of 1800s and early 1900s drawings from the area, but then obviously with a lot more blood and gore and the mythology of the the movie itself so for me you wouldn't the, the obviously ari knew the feel um of what he wanted to have with midsummer he obviously had a a big hand in um helping to well for example so for the drawings with uh ragnar i know ari said there was meant to be a lot of blood and sex on them so he clearly was involved in the uh the art design and the art production but i think without these three guys i don't think this movie would be what it is obviously graham and i adore this film but part of i think what makes it so visceral is how deep and detailed the world is so everything does feel real and if it's drawing you into the film it then allows you to fully feel uh, what Florence Pugh's character is going through what everyone else is kind of feeling and without having I, I think we've all had it especially again especially with horror films where something will happen that immediately takes you out of the film and therefore you aren't really kind of feeling everything you're always a little bit detached the one that always springs to mind for me which is a weird fucking film to mention I talk really quickly when Graham's not here. Anyway, really weird film to bring up when we're talking about Midsummer, but the one that I always mention, which highlights kind of the, uh, or highlights this perfectly, is there was a film called Mama, uh, which was two thirds of a brilliant movie. But it was about like, I think these twins maybe, but these, these girls that got found in a wood and they kept talking about how Mama was looking after them, and there was always a question of whether it was a supernatural thing, whether it was a psychology thing, and it was all a bit strange. And it was really, really interestingly done until they showed the actual creature, and the creature was so shit that it immediately drew you out of the film and you no longer cared about it. And Midsummer doesn't do that. Midsummer creates such a detailed and interesting world that you are just completely drawn in <laughs> much to uh much to your 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 mental distress but you wouldn't you wouldn't have this without uh Henrik Nieler and Ragnar i think the art is truly a conduit for the storytelling it it provides glimpses into both the characters worlds for for shadowing there's there's also a really interesting point raised this is the issue with doing so much research on Midsummer over three years is I was about to say something that now I think about it, I might have learned from this interview. But we say it foreshadows their fate. But what I do like is the idea that 
all of this has happened so many times before that it's not actually kind of a prophecy or anything. It's just all shit that has already happened in other kind of endless cycles of uh, what the Horga are doing. Um, the murals, the tapestries, the so much of the plot and the history of the Horga is told not through kind of the characters themselves, but just the worlds that they're inhabiting. And I think lesser uh, art directors or lesser designers would have, I don't want to say phoned it in, but not necessarily given this the attention it deserves. It is, I mean, we could talk about the art for a while, but I know you're all wondering, hey, why is Ian just talking to himself in a slightly too hot bedroom when we could be listening to an actual expert on the subject? So I will, I will hand over to past Ian and past Graham's uh, interview with uh, the wonderful uh, Neela Svensson in a moment. But before I do that, and even though Graham isn't here, I still think it is time for a movie recommendation nobody asked for. I, uh, I assume you guys are here for a movie recommendation. No, thank you. Yeah. I'm fine. Nah, I'm fine. Uh, I'm alright actually, thanks. Nah, no, it's all right. I'm fine. No, it's alright. No, right. I'm fine. Yeah, it's alright. Fuck off. So I am um, this is a this is a tough one, obviously. You know what? I'm I'm not even gonna I'm not gonna pretend. I'm not gonna do a bit here. Obviously, you guys are gonna go and watch Midsummer. Obviously. It would be stupid for you not to. Like that is why you're here. If you're listening to the third of our Midsummer specials, you know what you're in store for. You're clearly a fan of Midsummer. You've watched it. This is coming out two days before Midsummer, so you're probably going to be watching Midsummer soon anyway, right? Right? So it's Midsummer. The movie recommendation is Midsummer. And if you've already watched Midsummer this year and you aren't sure what else to watch, and you are listening to this on release day so on the 22nd of june and you're wondering what else to watch well the prince charles cinema on the 24th so on actual midsummer is playing a little film called midsummer the director's cut so i would also recommend you watch that because not only does it show you even more of the world <laughs> that uh we're talking about but it is one of those it's we we took again we've it's one of those director's cuts where i understand the cuts that they made but seeing a version of it with them in just helps, I think, to layer the complexity and the detail and everything like that. So it is still a for, not even just for the completionist. If you were a fan of Midsummer, I would encourage you to watch the director's cut as well. And speaking of movie recommendations nobody asked for, I know everybody is wondering, hey, just how many times have you guys recommended Midsummer? So, so far in the last calendar year, we have recommended Midsummer 24 times on this podcast. In the life of this podcast, we are up to 176. And I think 176 comes from... Uh, let's try and think this through, shall we? One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven different people. Seven different people have recommended you watch Midsummer on this podcast. And at least two of them were not forced to do so to keep with the format of our show. But... What can we say? We fucking love it. So without further ado or without further beating the bush or gallivanting around the shrubs, I don't know, uh, we'll go to our interview with uh, Neela. So we had a couple of technical issues which do affect the sound quality a little bit, 
but it is still more than listenable. So I hope you guys enjoy it. So, uh, so welcome to the podcast, WR Sport, Neela Svensson. Uh, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. It's uh, spring is in the air here in Stockholm for like maybe for one week passing, <laughs> yeah. and uh, so we're getting like the the first premonitions of of summer coming up, and you know what happens <laughs> <laughs> when summer is. You know, closing in. Uh, so it's it's. I think it's a, probably the best time of the year here because it's yeah. like the the warmth and the sun is still like new to you and you're not spoiled. You know, is it is it as is it as dramatic as it is? And I know we'll we'll get on to talking about midsummer in in a lot of detail. But mm. one thing that really strikes me from the movie, like, is that how dramatic it is with the how bright everything is throughout summer and how long the days are i mean yeah, is, it, yeah. is it actually as like is that an accurate representation yeah but but i think it's it's i mean the effect is more dramatic around this time of year because suddenly like i i go out of bed like or i wake up maybe at seven o'clock like most mornings from the week when it's sort of dark because when it switches it switches sort of quite fast yeah well, the week between you wake up and it's dark outside, and the the week, like two three weeks <laughs> after, and it's actually sunny, it's like pam, your whole sort of outlook on life changes, and and uh, the same thing with the evenings, like like if it's like in the winter, it's it's dark like three three fifteen maybe, and and then when it passes, when you when it's not dark, when you sort of head home, or when it's not dark, when you you know, you take the garbage out or whatever you do, like in a regular, the same time every day, it sort of really changes your mood. And then it, it sort of just progresses. So, so you know, June or, or mid-June or around midsummer, which is, you know, like the last week or the second last week of June, uh, it's not so much a difference anymore, you know, because you've sort of passed this kind of, it's dark when you go to bed, experience or it's light when you go to bed so yeah. uh this time of the year is really when you sort of wah, wake up <laughs> and we have this festivity when you you have bonfires and stuff like mm. on the last of uh april okay it's, it's more like, like you celebrate that the spring is coming so so um, maybe that's even more of a thing really i think or transition wise yeah i mean like so we're 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 london based and we had spring last week mm. i think spring <laughs> is now done and now it's just <laughs> now it's now it's just a cold summer so it's, right. we have we have the we have the sun comes up early the sun goes away late but it's just cold all day it's great uh, it feels more <laughs> swedish than what you just described yeah, yeah. maybe but it, yeah but it, it works fast I, I think you know every, everybody who lives like any given sort of any fair distance from the equator. I mean, the the, the like the different seasons really sort of mean something and sort of embedded yeah. in cultural behavior and everything. I guess so. I, I've often wondered how uh, people, you know, like a lot of people I know in the film, like the film industry is very much. You know, based around Los Angeles, which has this kind of 
perpetual uh, yeah. <laughs> sort of state. And I, I often wonder how that sort of uh, affects your outlook on, on more things than just the weather. You know, like like there's something nice with you. You even if you don't change anything with yourself, or you, you even try to avoid changing everything. Like when you live in a climate like this, you you have like different clothes over the year, yeah. and you you and you you shift your your hobbies. You go skiing, or you you sail, or whatever. It's like you you. Are constantly living in this idea that that change is sort of inevitable, even if it's cyclical. What do you say? No, <laughs> yeah. that's right. So yeah. it's like, like, and 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 so people who are living like this, when you go out and you try to create something, or you you know you you just ponder on your life, or create art, or express yourself, or anything, you are doing that with a kind of this base notion of. Mm -hmm. of uh, flux, you know. <laughs> I don't know if if anybody's written anything about this. It would be interesting to see how people on the equator how they sort of, if they have some kind of of, you know, in general, some kind of other outlook on their sort of position. But it's also then that then ties into this has got a lot more philosophical than I thought it would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's also then that also. Is, very interesting to tie into if we're looking kind of historically into like the creation of like myths and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you said, you can understand why someone two thousand years ago seeing the massive change in the world and not understanding where it comes from, mm. like how that would then lead to all of these, you know, stories of gods and stories of yeah. you know, there's chariots of fire pulling mm. suns across the sky and things like yeah. that. And it's it would be interesting to yeah compare those to the ones which would come out around yeah come out around the equator where you don't necessarily have it is just hot that <laughs> is that yeah. is the state of things and that is the way things are yeah but i mean try to, to to try to you know stick to the subject as as you know as well as i do i think you know when when christianity you know moved further north from the mediterranean and and, and uh tried to sort of missionary its way up to the northern parts of Europe, mm. they actually had to sort of shift the dates of, of the birth mm. of Christ yeah. and everything. So because the and I think in, in England or or like early modern England, the Christmas was actually abolished for a time. They tried mm -hmm. to <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean so so they tried to sort of cover existing uh, rituals and existing sort of important parts of the year and seasons with sort of uh, new... Uh, they couldn't really change the timing of things. It's very sort of like, take all of the pagan dates and the pagan yeah, rituals yeah. and, and, and I, slap Jesus on them. What's interesting with Midsummer is that, that there is no sort of Christian mm. equivalent. Because both Easter and and uh, Christmas is actually sort of pagan origin, uh, yeah. They sort of just cover cover that up with with the uh, the life of Jesus Christ. But Midsummer is still sort of something that is uh, a bit a bit sort of untouched <laughs> in that yeah. way. And that's maybe that's why it sort of opens itself up to this kind of sort of speculation. And, and yeah. I'm really. I I think we we jumped ahead quicker than I 
thought we were going to, but I think it seems as good a time as any to kind of talk about everything that you've kind of talked about there with regards to like the weather impact and the rituals and the kind of seasonality of things. I mean, how did how did you take that into account when you kind of got this brief around the movie and the artwork that needs to be included and all the mythology and stuff around it? I mean, do do you did that have a massive impact on kind of the direction you took? You mean like my my own experience with with celebrating midsummer or yeah I think I, I guess that and then also um I guess the uh sort of bringing into it like the things around the seasonality I know a lot of the kind of rituals that we see in the movie itself are all around kind of like rebirth there's lots of stuff around like the um there's lots of floral elements and things like that signifying mm. kind of new life and everything but I guess, yeah, I guess it, your your own kind of take on Midsummer and how that came into it. And then, um, yeah, think kind of everything we've spoken about in terms of like all of the um, the way that the seasonality and the kind of um, has had an impact on the mythology. Did, that, did you really draw from that? Because everything is sort of really, for a movie that's kind of quite horrific in places, <laughs> yeah. um, everything's so like kind of bright and kind of, cheerful in terms of a color palette yeah it's it's uh i think that i mean as a movie i think that's uh uh i i i remember somebody said that it's it's like the first horror movie that's only shot in daylight mm-hmm. uh yeah. which is sort of you know that's what you get i guess if you're in sweden in in, in the summertime <laughs> uh i think you know like like another thing with uh, rituals and sort of traditions that I, I've, I've learned, you know, over the years is that when you, when you really dig into it, that a lot of rituals and traditions aren't really that old as, you know, ma- ma- things that people do tend to last for, you know, maybe two, three generations. And then very often, almost all sort of Culture behavior is more or less sort of changed all over. So if if I go on this podcast and say that in Sweden we celebrate, you know, midsummer this and that way, I don't even know if people like 500 years actually did this, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. or to what extent, uh, which is the same with how we celebrate sort of even Eastern Christmas, which is supposed to be traditions that mm-hmm. go back to a 2000 year old story, but it's what what you do or whatever you sort of put into it it changes a lot you know like uh, the christmas tree is like not even 200 years old uh, mm-hmm. Santa Claus, whatever and then like like all these different and the pagan traditions that were before that died out and maybe they sort of were sort of succeeding after some other kinds so meeting the 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 script i think that the the kind of of uh, midsummer celebration that is sort of depicted in the script and on you know subsequently in the in the movie i i treated it as, as being a total fantasy or li- like you know something just fictional from the beginning mm-hmm. because i've never ever Come close to anything. <laughs> which like, <hope> so. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> which you know, I'm grateful for. But 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 even if there's a lot of stuff that's sort of totally made up, and and you know, it, it's it's there for effect. And and other things that are 
inspired from ideas that maybe were fictional even where they originate from if you know mm-hmm. what i mean uh and and, the, and that that is you mean that that's how it works it's it's uh that's that's the fun of it but i think also the, uh, as i said because the the midsummer tradition is something that's sort of not as closely connected to something else uh it lends itself to you know exploration and, and fantasizing and and it's also a bit safe because we're not sort of you're not uh stepping on anyone's toes and and, yeah. and uh, uh in the movie like the background story is you know with the, this the horgas the the community is actually you know it's supposed to be like swedish folklore but it has sort of departed uh and never actually converted to christianity but they've sort of kept on a pagan culture but it sort of evolved it you know yeah. mm-hmm. uh, so there's like a like a, a sort of a fork <laughs> uh so so for me it was the the fun thing was thinking about how would you know traditional but it's very much based around the folk traditions of Helsingland and Dalarna which you know in some ways are considered to be like the this kind of uh uh what do you say like the concentrated S- swedish summer <laughs> yeah. uh so to speak like the 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 solar plexus of of swedish summer culture swedish folk tradition uh so what we did with the set designer henrik and and ragnar who did the drawings we we sort of just vacuumed uh for those references and and uh, played around with it and and, and but I've always loved that uh, uh, imagery and that tradition, both sort of the the art and the like the graphic elements and everything and and it's very interesting because it's from the beginning that tradition or like that aesthetics is very kind of it's a mashup because very often depicts uh, biblical themes and sort of Christian uh, uh, content, but nobody in that part of Sweden, they didn't know anything about how things were supposed to look like in the Middle East. So Mm -hmm. everything is sort of changed to things that they knew about. So like everybody in the Bible is riding like a horse and having these sort of traditional Swedish (laughs) <laughs> clothes on yeah. and instead of temples it's like farmhouses but they're just made bigger and more beautiful uh which is it you know what i'm saying it's like a kind of postmodern kind of blush mashup of 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 uh swedish culture and, and christian sort of like an overlay yeah uh, which is in itself is so it's very easy to sort of depict how it could have sort of taken another route, if you know what I mean. And then we we can we, so we kept kind of the aesthetics, but we said that if this was filtered through other um, ideas or other sort of uh, religions or or sort of cults, what, but it would still sort of be the same uh, uh, 
uh, brushes and colors and yeah. you know whatever, mm-hmm. the same materials. How would it look like? And so this is like just a kind of counterfactual history uh, exercise. Because I know, so we've had um, Pavel Pogachelsky on last year to talk oh, yeah. about through how it was kind of actually shot and things like that. Mm-hmm. So obviously when Ari wrote the script, there was kind of a set at least. So I think very early on, uh, like you kind of said yourself, they had the idea of it being shot. In, it'll be entirely in the daylight and things mm-hmm. like that. But in terms of the actual kind of, um, like, you know, again, art and art design, kind of how much was bought to you and how much of it was like were you just told here's the script of the story figure out what this would look like or did he have an idea of what they kind of wanted from you guys or like a, yeah, a feel yeah. of the aesthetic yeah i i mean th- to some parts uh because the two guys who, who came up with the the like the background story and the set designer Henrik Svensson, they have been sort of dragging this project around for ages, you know, yeah. bef- before it it got sort of funding. Uh, so Henrik had this kind of a lookbook or a, like a bible yeah. uh, of pretty much every, more or less every scene in the movie, uh, you know, what would be needed, but not sort of in detail. Uh, as such, but it, it was pretty well developed even before I think the the Ari got sort of the or or uh, came up with the actual sort of script, which yeah. lies on top of this sort of origin story, I guess. But I think where we started was that that I think my and because we we knew that it was going to be placed in Helsingland and. Everybody involved knew that there is this rich and rather kind of unique uh, aesthetics in that part of Sweden. Uh, I think that like the first time we we uh, uh, discussed it, me when Henrik asked me if I wanted to be involved, I, I think we discussed the the wall paintings of traditional houses in Helsingland, but also making this kind of uh degenerated folk music orchestra like like uh, or or group uh and that's what he sort of planted on me i guess and then i went back home and the funding wasn't really you know 100% green yet so so you know i was like more or less waiting for that everybody was waiting around for it to happen because it, happened really quickly and in the meantime i recorded a a song to to because i started to think about what what with swedish folk culture what can what can be scary you know where where could you where are sort of the the, the pressure points you can yeah uh, and some of the images is really easy to because this kind of medieval or or 17th century 18th century drawings are can be sort of quite you know icky in a way <laughs> but i also i was thinking a lot about how folk music in those parts in sweden there is a, a, a kind of a league of of uh, musicians uh, and they gather sometimes and have like this really large sets of people playing like the key harp and the violin and everything and, and 
in the folk traditions, it's not really like you don't have like Stradivarius violins, or maybe you're not too picky about you know uh, tuning and and so when you have this massive kind of string <laughs> violin wall of sound that's sort of more or less kind of almost in tune it, it can be very very eerie so i started to cutting out you know samples of, of examples of that and i made a kind of a uh inspiration soundtrack yeah. which is actually on on spotify i think still I literally just uh, found it in the yeah which I sort of played <laughs> to myself, and later on I I, I distributed among the uh, the crew just to sort of get into the mood, uh, and and you know after that we uh, uh, and we got Ragnar involved because I said that I don't think I can do. I mean, the, one there was a lot of work to be done, and uh, so we had we knew from the beginning that we had to sort of. As you always do in filmmaking, you have to sort of cut corners and, and cheat a little bit. Uh, but I, I knew that I, I even though I, I, I'm an illustrator, and, you know, I, I, it would take me too long to sort of nail this. Uh, and Ragnar is, you know, he's, he's like a fine artist, really. And I knew him from before because we sort of worked earlier. And, and he has this kind of, uh, like, goth, uh, profile. So I thought that if if I could just tweak it a little bit so it looks a bit older, <laughs> uh, he would you know know what to go for, I guess. And in the beginning it was a bit trouble, but but then I think we we nailed it uh, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, I would have absolutely have to agree with that. Um, <laughs> but I I would say as well. I mean, you mentioned about like uh, how you you know how it would be a lot for, for you to take on as an individual i mean I, I don't think i can remember many movies that have this level of kind of artistry throughout you know talking from like the opening titles throughout all of the set design um and then you know all, all the way to to the finale and yeah it, i'm just i'm curious as to how I mean, I'm, I'm guessing the answer is very, but like how complex <laughs> this was, because I mean, everything is so the artwork and the um, the attention to detail just seems so intricate throughout. Um, I mean, it must have taken you guys hours, especially when you're in a world now where you have people like us stopping things and looking really yeah, closely yeah, yeah. at pictures yeah. <laughs> and wondering what it means. <laughs> but I, I, I that was actually one of the first things I did. Uh, when we started talking about the project, because I, I I I never saw Hereditary, but I knew it was like a hit, and then I wanted to check out, you know, what 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 kind of films is he making, and you know, uh, because it's you know it's the it's the director's film, so it's it, I, I thought I, I should be a bit sort of informed, uh, and and. Uh, and then the first thing when I started to go around, I actually what I stumbled across the first thing I saw was one of you know people like you <laughs> who, were, <laughs> who were sort of uh, uh, dissecting a, a trailer for Hereditary, uh, like zooming, like stopping the image and then zooming in on these sort of building plans and mm -hmm. you know, 
the dollhouse things and stuff like that and try to even before seeing the movie try to kind of find some kind of reasoning around what you know what, what will this be about so then i thought that you know okay so this is the kind of audience we're sort of up against or or yeah up with maybe <laughs> and then i i realized that the more we can sort of cram in there the the better and i mean some things uh i mean i we we didn't even discuss it much so i think we all sort of because the backstory in itself is very interesting uh and i think one thing that i learned working with this is that you don't have to be, explain everything but you have to make it believable and mm -hmm. what believable is is just this kind of pattern recognition thing that you look at it and you don't understand it but you just think that it is plausible you know if i would stumble across something if i was traveling through the galaxies and i landed on a planet and i saw these sort of buildings or constructions you know it's silly. yeah yeah I, I i'm buying this you know uh which i think is so if you look at you know like a classic like the movie alien or something it's like everything is so unnatural or sort of so mm -hmm. unknown but we still sort of see mm -hmm. how it sort of it, it has this kind of connection and i think that that's sort of one way to to create that is to actually have a very sort of strict idea about everything so when we worked with with a, like the choreographer and the i mean the set designer uh we talked about you know how are they doing these things you know what what does these rituals actually consist of uh in a much 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 deeper uh, level than is actually used even for telling the story in the film you know uh so there is a, a lot of sort of uh content there that that it's it's not needed but i think it sort of comes across if you know what i mean mm -hmm. uh, that you sort of even though it's sort of a backdrop to to the actual storytelling you think yeah, yeah, yeah i recognize that and and a lot of stuff that i did I, I didn't even discuss it even with the set designer i just thought that you know it, it would be cool if the the like the the rooms used in the film they are have taken off and being so sort of starting off with being inspired by the viking rooms or the like the medieval rooms but then they are taking off uh in a direction that they are more inspired by the 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 way they dance you know the mm. choreography like this yeah and we came up with the idea that the the runes are actually sort of dancing people or they are sort of converging towards that or uh and that's you know it's not in the script uh, the script or, and it's not really a part of anything but mm -hmm. i think you know it's just something you 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 it it, it creates this kind of uh, possibility or, or credibility that even though it's just fantasy you kind of buy into it I guess. it feels almost similar to like um tolkien kind of doing his whole language for elvish in lord of the rings right it's completely unnecessary but it adds to the yeah yeah, the yeah. mythos and everything yeah 
I'm, I'm really intrigued. You, you spoke about how people like Ian and I, who uh, maybe dissect these <laughs> movies a little bit too much and look in and, you know, like to pause a scene and everything. And one of the things that Midsummer does, that I don't think I've ever seen done ever before, is lays out the entirety of the plot in a single image before the movie's rolled in the uh, opening kind of um, mm. tapestry artwork. What, I mean, was that always plan was that something that that you guys in the art department kind of came up with or was it something that Ari wanted like how did that come about because uh, it's, um... it's a funny thing <laughs> like often in art the the greatest sort of achievements are made out of necessity mm. and that's something when I when I teach in schools uh you know because I have this designer background I try to tell people like like you should always go with the wind if the if there is some kind of element that is pushing you, it's, if you have a limitation in a project, just set your sail with that limitation, you know, <laughs> in your back and take it uh, away from there. Never go against the wind, and because if you, if you go with the flow uh, like that, I think you can you can find something that makes sense both in a in a what tools you have available and, and and what you're trying to achieve. So the thing with the tapestry is that that in the script, uh, the the walls like it's mostly the walls in the in the big house, and uh, in the script it only says that the the images on the walls are depicting like the the history of the Horgas, you know. So we had a lot of discussions uh, about me, Ragnar, and Henrik. Uh, or even just being Ragnar, you know, what would that be? And at one stage, I had this idea that it would be like, a, like a like almost like an Aztec calendar kind of thing. I was envisioning like like they had a kind of matrix. Uh, you see how how <laughs> yeah how overly involved I, <laughs> I was. Like if you think think. Like, like if you had like a grid, you know, like you have this because the the Horgas are going through different ages that spans over like several yeah. years and everything. So if you, if you had like like now we're going through this kind of yellow uh, five hundred years, you know, so every thirty years you're down on this sort of horizontal uh, line, and then you go over like seventy years, and then you 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 end up in a you know, like a matrix, and you. So this particular year, we're doing these rituals, and this yeah. sort of, or maybe this historical event happened. Uh, and even though it wouldn't be expressed, that I thought that it, it would be like graphically it would be just like an Aztec calendar, that it's both this kind of giant uh, uh, aesthetic sort of element, and and you could also. Maybe spot some kind of, of logic or uh, you know sense that's there, but then very quickly we realized that we, we were never going to be able to to make the artwork that complex and that sort of detailed. Uh, and and there is only one point in the in the script where. There is like a, a scene description uh, uh, or, or uh, where an image behind uh, the actors should be in a certain way. Mm. 
Uh, no spoilers. Uh, so, so that's the only only mentioning in the script that that's you know uh, of an actual sort of uh, what, what an actual image should look like. Uh, but but then after a while, I, I because then I started to get uh, uh, drawings and and construction drawings of the house, and I realized that it's like several hundred square meters <laughs> of art <laughs> that we have to produce, and and this was before and a long time i didn't even think about the ceiling <laughs> mm. so uh, I, I was happy i didn't get that from the from the beginning uh and th then i told then i uh, i said that you know we, we i have to come up with some kind of design system so then i i made these kind of uh like borders border designs that i i, I so i could sort of repeat things uh and then i said i'm going to do this like a grid system almost like a magazine and then we can i can ask ragnar to make a lot of you know different images and maybe also like uh, almost like clip art and i can i can reproduce them and rearrange them uh and then we can get something that looks like it's original but it actually sort of repeats itself and then it's yeah. like it and and so and then we can say okay that's because that, that would be manageable, then we could probably do it, you know, in the time we had. Uh, and, and everybody's like, okay, that's, let's do that. Uh, and then Ragnar disappeared for, you know, a week or a couple of weeks. Or something. And then he came back and it was like, I can't come up with, I don't know what to draw. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to be. But like, he had some, like, he, he had, you know, had, and, and I was like, uh, just try to come up with some rituals or something that stuff that happened before in their life, and he was like, oh, "It's so I I can't do that. It, it takes too much time to." And I was like, "Okay, I, I'll come up with something." Uh, so I, I sat down to try to make to make a kind of script for him, you know, try yeah. to to come up with stuff that had happened to the Horgas before. And I, I, I mean, I could come up with something, but pretty soon I realized that I can't fill all these square meters, you know, with with these ideas, and, and he can't sort of draw everything that I'm telling him. And and then it suddenly dawned upon me, like they, if they do this every seventy years, or whatever, or ninety, uh, then everything that happens in the movie must have happened before. Mm -hmm. So then I just took the script and I took like a, a marker <laughs> and it just marked everywhere in the script when they do something. And then I send it over to Ragnar. Just do everything that's in the movie. But like it happened, you know, yeah. like last time or even the time before that. And he was like, all right. So suddenly I had I, I let the script do my job. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, when we got back the images, I suddenly realized that this is going to be really cool in the movie. So when I, I sent them to, to Henrik and, and Ari, they were like, wow, this is pretty cool. And then, then I even had an idea that maybe we could use this and make scenes in the movie look like if you familiar with Peter Greenaway's draftman's contract like like we, we could we could do f scenes in the movie look even more like the drawings 
but then I don't know if if uh, they turned down that idea, and I don't know if it's it, it, it was pretty late because we were like in yeah. the production stage, and and thinking about it now, I think that that had been sort of maybe too obvious in a way. Uh, but but for me, so so that whole idea, that which sort of is in afterthought uh, or in hindsight, that's one of the things that people sort of remember with the movie. <laughs> Uh, and it also ties in with a kind of un inevitability <laughs> of yeah. the fate of the characters. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and you, you, even people now are wondering how early on uh, he was sort of prepping them. That even even her parents' death is. Are, did they? Did they sort of go around the world looking for people in that situation? Or were they actually sort of... This is what I've read on yeah. the internet. People are speculating about the movie. Uh, and I don't I don't think even Ari has an answer to that. It's just sort of, you know, mm -hmm. part of the story. But but uh, I think that, that uh, what we did with that, which was actually just me solving the problem of not having enough time. <laughs> uh, and just, I mean, imagine if it has been this kind of as the calendar. I mean, it wouldn't have been as good of a movie, you know. And, and uh, So that's really cool. And, and, and that's what I like also about filmmaking is that, that, that everybody is very sort of preoccupied with their own little problem they are solving. Uh, uh, which means that that anybody can sort of come up with ideas that sort of leaks into your own department or responsibility, which makes it much better because they are not responsible. And I was thinking about it a lot because we have this contact, like like an, when you work as an art director, if nobody has any problems, then you don't really have anything to do <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not carpenting. I'm not even... Yeah. I draw sketches and I, I made sort of designs, but like like every time that that people in the crew contacted me about you know the the food or the clothing, like the costume or or the set design or the like the props building and everything, I I sort of uh, felt it was very easy for me to come up with an answer because it. it it was my problem as an art director to help them, but it, it was not my problem to kind of deliver, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, so they were there, well, oh, how are we going to do with the flower arrangements? Uh, and I was like, yeah, yes, do it. And they went, oh, that's a great idea. And I, I had this feeling that I was I was easing the burden of, of other skilled professionals. Uh, and I, I've been thinking a lot about that uh, since that experience. Like, I, I'm when I'm in kind of a creative. If I'm stuck in in any, I just try to. So maybe I can just sort of get some other someone else's opinion on stuff, and, yeah. and they will be very open because it's not their problem. They are not sort of burdened by this. They are just, you know, uh, enthusiasts. Yeah. I'm guessing with, with with Midsummer, especially with that, if because from what you said, with kind of all the, the art and the design and stuff, it was so rooted in basically mapping out and building the history that the film is set in. 
it yeah, would yeah. mean that you would yeah. have you would yeah. have opinions on every everything else that was going yeah. on because it's like well we decided 400 years ago this happened mm. <laughs> and this would lead to uh the evolution of this and kind of that but mm. yeah i think it's like like um i mean like like we said uh kind of previously like i think it's such uh a unique um kind of feel to a film like this as well and like we said everything is kind of so on display and what i didn't really kind of i think appreciate until recently weird weird podcast to mention when talking about midsummer but there is a british podcast called off menu Mm -hmm. which is two british comedians talking about their dream food and they Mm -hmm. had uh florence Pugh come on as a guest and one of the hosts is obsessed with midsummer so was asking her about that and she was talking about, I think, um, there was like a picture on the ceiling in the dormitory that meant where she was lying down during a scene. She kept having to look at that. And I think that was it's like, oh, yeah, because even in parts where the camera isn't actually pointing at or oh, isn't, right. isn't yeah. in the frame at all, there is still all of this intricate yeah. um, kind of contextual artwork yeah. everywhere. Um I think it just kind of really helps uh, again, kind of uh, create that world, like you said, like yeah. it's like it's been here for a long time. Like, yeah, it's, and uh... yeah, and I, 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 one thing that I discussed with with Henrik in a very early, I remember that now when you mentioned it, that that we discussed very early is that that Henrik told me that uh, Ari is the kind of director that that he sort of changes things around. Uh, like even in the very very last minute, yeah. so uh, of course, I mean, if if you don't have any budget restrictions, everybody would love to work like that. But it's it's not <laughs> like no, but it's it's not like you have a house and it's you only sort of make a, a ninety degree sort of two walls meeting, yeah. and then you know, and after a while, it's just drywall or or you know, like. Ari really wanted, and I, I think they, from the beginning, I think they, they, they. I mean, the like in you know, on all films, there was a, a lot less time that was anticipated from the beginning, and and a lot less money. <laughs> and I think partly the reason why the film stands out now is that that everybody was kind of, it was almost I think slipping out of everybody's fingers all the time, which I think in the end is very good for a film or any kind of artwork, but it, it can also sort of, you can also actually drop it, you know. Uh, and and I think in the big, in the end you see something that isn't really under anybody's complete control, if you know what I mean. Hmm. Uh, but there was something else I was going uh, yeah, but but the thing is, uh, so what we knew from the beginning, or or Henrik told me, like whatever we do, we we must do it. So if Ari be- decides that the camera should, you know, point the other direction, yeah. there has to be something there, you know. With uh, that, we can't. We are not building a set. We're building <laughs> a, a milieu, or or mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and and of course we cheated a lot as well, but it's like the big house is really, you know, a hundred percent sort of complete. With uh, I did the uh, the the decorations on all the beds and like like everything is sort of was there when they shoot the movie, and then uh, 
I was not on set, you know, when the filming uh, took place, but I've heard later from people in the crew, like the the Swedish actors and stuff like that, that uh, and uh, there are some beautiful images also with Ari and, you know, with Pew and, and, and other actors, like they gathered in the big house yeah, and there was this kind of energy in there that sort of, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's sort of fueled the mm. crew, you know. And when when everybody stepped inside, that even if you were working with you know electrician or makeup or everything, everybody sort of got a bit quieter, and there was like this, you know, the presence of the film to be was already in that room, uh, which I think is a very beautiful, you know. Well, I. I... I guess in that sense, like you kind of you say, you kind of built. You've not really built a set, right? You built. You kind of built the way it's a world building activity. Yeah, I'm, to I do mean, yeah, the entirety. What happens to like? There's so much effort has gone in and detail has gone into this, and I'm assuming a tremendous amount of time. Like you talk about how much detail went into the beds and the walls and everything. like, what's mm. happened to all of this stuff? Where, where it was is it just it's just and please just tell me it's not down. just gone because that, that breaks my heart yeah, it's so cheap material <laughs> it's, it's not like you could live there i mean it, the, yeah. those houses they couldn't stand a wind i mean one really good storm <laughs> and they probably just you know it's not like you you it's not a structure that's yeah last you know so that's I, where you sort of cheat i guess what does that what's that like as a as an art like you've kind of put your heart and soul into something like this and i know it's there forever on film but like is it kind of i don't know thinking personally if i'd kind of created this only for it to go i think i would be <laughs> distraught so i'm curious as to what that feels like where you kind of no, pulled so that, much that, into it that's that's how you that's your job and i think i mean the and I, actually let me answer it this way the, the thing with film, which is both very sort of nerve-wracking when you're working on it, but also is is like the is so pleasurable when you see the final film, is that everybody is sort of working against uh, everybody has less money and less too to too little time, mm-hmm. whatever. So so if if it was just up to the script or if it was just up to the actors or was just up to the to the photographer or was just up to the props people or the art director or just up to the music the film wouldn't work but when you see the result like like whenever i sort of submitted like material to the the props people or the set designer I had this feeling that I wasn't finished. Like people, this looks like crap. I need to put more time to, we have to work on this more. And I tried to, you know, I don't know. We have to start printing this. We have to start, you know, uh, manufacturing this. It's going to be, and I was like, shit, people will look at this and laugh. But then when you see the result, there is like, the actor is like making the script look good. (laughs) And the, the the acting and the script is making the background look good and the background is sort of helping the actor look good when they mm-hmm. are sort of slipping the the background makes the story in the script look sort of believable 
yeah. and music, you know, is backing up everything. And as and the photographer is sort of making all the flaws in my work and the script and the, you know what I'm saying? It's like, like every uh, piece is sort of holding all the other pieces under their arms. And so it's like this sort of uh, uh, scaffolding of, of, of different art forms that are, everybody is sort of not satisfied, <laughs> but every, mm -hmm. Every part of the the art form is kind of covering up for the flaws in the others, and yeah. which is a beautiful thing. And I, when I, when I saw the first uh, like the takes of the day, you know, uh, well, I don't know what you call it in English, like like the first acting taking mm. place with sort of my work behind it, I was like, you know, this is so good, and they are sort of making my work come alive and and maybe vice versa to some extent uh, yeah. which i think you know and that's my answer that 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 my work mm. exists only in the film it's like like those walls or those sort of physical objects i mean maybe it would be nice to have like some kind of memento i think there some of them are sort of running the circuit but mm. <laughs> it's really the, I don't look at them and think, wow, this is fantastic. It's just everything was just on the edge of, yeah. of being catastrophic. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it See, doesn't matter because that's the, that's the magic of film happens, you know, and, uh, and that's, that's so cool. Uh, yeah, and I guess it must also kind of be weird as, again, because like you obviously a lot of uh, kind of thought went into this before you even started producing everything yeah. to then have it go completely out of your hands being filmed uh hundreds of miles away uh by a director who like you said will sometimes just decide actually no we're going to film that over here today mm. did you have any idea what the film was going to end up like like did it match to what you thought it would be was it completely different i remember seeing it for the first time that i think the uh it felt more kind of self-aware mm. than, than I, I believe the script. But I mean, when you read the script, you're sort of, you're, you're building the film and the whatever in your own head. Uh, and I think the, the final film is, I mean, with the ending and everything with the music, it's, it's really kind of breaks a lot of barriers. Mm. Uh, so I think the first time I saw it, I felt that I was not disappointed, but I was sort of, I lost my balance a little bit because it was so unexpected. Uh, and then I, I, with time, I realized that I was sort of building a more conventional because I was trying to solve, I, I was sort of aiming for some, I was trying to, to build like an, a result that was more conventional than necessary uh in my head and then i i sort of tried to do my work but when i did my actual work i think i was as you know to keep it interesting for myself i i tried to keep it as, as daring as sort of experimental as i i felt i could yeah uh but now in time i i i think that what was created was which I think you should always strive for, uh, something that actually sort of stands out and is memorable in its own right, 
even though you are not making it 100% like it sort of normally is done. Yeah. I, I also think that the, the I'm not sort of an avid horror movie fan, really. Uh, but I think that part of the culture or subculture of, of movie culture has evolved to a point where you can actually sort of reference and sort of re-reference and re-re-re-reference to <laughs> so much that that mm. that kind of you're always sort of blinking <laughs> in some direction to some earlier uh work in a way that I've I I feel is it's uh it's a genre that's sort of almost sort of uh folding into itself in a way. Uh so there might be things that I'm actually kind of even missing, but uh mm. Uh, I, I, I think I, I think the as far as my sort of my contribution to the film, I think it was even better than I, I it sort of landed better than I, I anticipated. And I'm, I'm proud that it, it has sort of, you know, it I think it has been regarded that that the, like the aesthetics or whatever the 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 sign of the film and the art direction is actually sort of a, what a lot of people sort of remember and revere with it, which is really cool. Uh, and I think the film is is going to be this kind of weird classic in a way, which I think that that I don't know where where Ari's sort of trajectory is heading, but I think this film will always sort of stand out in, in his production, I think. Well, definitely. And I think in kind of horror movies in general, because like you said, it's uh, I think one of the reasons the art direction and kind of the, the design stands out so much is, again, not to sound like a broken record, but it is <laughs> always there. It is always yeah, on display. Yeah. There's no, nothing's hiding in shadow or anything like that. It is, everything is just yeah. there. I yeah. think it takes a very... Um, like you said, I kind of like your point of kind of everything feeding into each other. I think that getting that balance right, especially with a film like this, if you mm. got that wrong, wouldn't work. Wouldn't work at all. No, I, I, yeah, it's it's interesting how how far. I think you could you could sort of push it in in. I I remember while working on that that I I I was a bit worried about the details, like like you you can't get the the. You can't get flowers from a Swedish yeah. summer meadow <laughs> in yeah. Hungary, you know. So there is a lot of details in the film that I think for a Swedish audience, it sort of gives it away that it's actually all oh, this. It's an international production. Uh, and that sort of disturbed me a lot in the like when I saw it the first time, when I saw the photos of the arrangements and everything we worked on, I was like, ah, this is not Swedish sort of. <laughs> biology <laughs> mm -hmm. of flora uh uh stuff like that you know but but then it doesn't matter and, and after a while i thought i thought it's actually it's sort of with this kind of like this almost like surrealistic feel mm. throughout the movie it, it actually enhances that in a way or maybe it's just me sort of yeah like it's almost like in a dream. Like you take, a, yeah. it's not those flowers; it's just flowers. Yeah, you know, it, it becomes a, a a mash of of maybe what the Americans are sort of thinking. Like they they don't know about the flowers, 
So are they really living this or is are they sort of, you know, because the film is actually, we haven't talked much about the script as such, but there's a lot of puns made by sort of uh, around anthropology and what is accepted when it's too far from your own culture, like like when the first killing is, yeah. it, it, it's like they are, they they don't want to disturb because it, it would be look like they are sort of uh, disturbing, like the yeah. the, the the like like we maybe if we go to some far end of the world we would try to be respectful in a way, we, we, <laughs> and in that way mm-hmm. we would actually sort of accept atrocities being made, which is really weird. But we you know that, that I think that's very cleverly uh, that's one of the sort of many themes in the film that I think is ex- extremely well sort of presented yeah that this kind of identity politics that's we we in some aspects of our identities we have the right <laughs> to behave in some ways or not uh and and I I think the 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 I mean, the the protagonists in the movie, the, the Americans, they are uh, all sort of in this sort of anthropology, anthropologic state of mind, which maybe is sort of part of why they don't sort of make it out <laughs> very yeah. well, because they realize too late that they are actually sort of intertwined in the, the interaction. And, and uh, you know what I mean? So, and that's very interesting because I, I think, it's also said something about our our time that we we have more kind of uh, possibility to to get involved with other people and how other people are doing things and maybe comment and and uh, complain or or mm. you know uh, share on other people's behavior, but it also makes all these sort of where are the barriers and what what are you actually sort of entitled to to how much can you sort of interfere with other people doing their thing which i think is a is a one of the great challenges of our time actually you know mm. yeah i mean it's our um if our, our reading of the film which we've talked about in kind of uh the the other midsummer episodes we've done right, yeah. is always uh it, it's that but it is then also guiding the audience along the path so by the end it's like, oh, I get it. I get why she's uh, done all mm-hmm. of this and she's now with them. Like, it all makes sense. Yeah. And then you, you think back, it's like, oh, actually, no, because just because the, 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 you know, the, the, the antagonists in it, mm. uh, so the actual Horgo, are the nicest people in the film. They're yeah. just really, they're really polite. Yeah. They're really open. They're quite respectful. Until they kill them, they're quite respectful of the <laughs> kind of the guests that have come there. They've invited. It's like, yeah, they're just they they are the most polite villain vi- again, quote unquote villains in uh, horror. Yeah. No, but the, I mean, the, there is a uh, there is a kind of logic, and I think I think what we are getting sort of uh, uh, the thing that confuses us is that they are are the horgas are not. It at least it doesn't seem like they are doing anything for personal gain, which I think in our culture is like <laughs> part of what is sort of uh, uh, worth reprimanding or worth sort of criticism is that if you do something 
evil within the 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 almost like the definition of being evil is you're doing something for your personal gain you are making other people suffer or you know work too much or whatever because you want something for yourself and when you take that element away <laughs> as with the horgas it's very hard for us like uh, this anthropologic when we look at them and trying to understand them that that if they are not doing it because they are uh, egoists or, or you know, they do not do anything for for person, are they really evil? Then you know, we 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 our sort of tools are are useless in trying to decipher whether they are morally bad or good. In a way, you know, to some extent, I guess, and and you you, you can say, and and it also sort of plays back to you know, al- practical philosophy of you know altruism and and. Uh, uh, whatever, like like the greater good, and and if a society can make it a little bit better for everybody, uh, but somebody has to die, you know, is it <laughs> like we do with? Um, that's something we discussed with, uh, like uh, automobiles, cars are acceptable because the the gain is so high, but we are actually letting, you know, I don't know how many in Britain, but in Sweden. It's like a hundred people who die every year in car accidents, and so there is a cost, you know. And if people are sitting in cars dying or jumping off a cliff, dying, <laughs> just so everything can go on, and we we can all sort of reap the benefits of that, you know. That's that's the kind of issues we are dealing with every day, I guess. Uh, like in Sweden, uh, even though we have great healthcare, you know, above a certain age, you don't really treat people for cancer anymore because, you know, it's, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I mean, that, that's, it, it's, it's sort of, you know, uh, plausible, but, but, but it's the kind of questions that we, every society has to deal with in, in their own ways. You know? yeah. I mean, is, so you, there's a lot of kind of themes that you, kind of picked out there one thing that we haven't really discussed that i think is a theme that runs throughout the entire movie is this kind of experience of grief from the kind of opening scene and how um danny's character kind of deals with that throughout and kind of becomes the reason that she kind of accepts the harger at the end right because they're the only mm. people that have kind of understood mm. her and pushing mm. through how was that a particular influence or did you did you have that in mind throughout kind of all of the art direction with the sort of that this is a kind of a story about grief or was were you more focused on the um kind of bringing to life this uh kind of i don't think ancient's the right word but like this this kind of pagan society yeah. I mean, where's the barriers between the two uh, we, we, we there is a uh... In one way, there is a, there is a treatment of color that mm-hmm. goes through the movie, which kind of what do you say? It, it kind of follows her uh, uh, development as a character mm-hmm. in a way, but as a theme, uh, because I was I was I was sort of more concentrated on making this kind of backdrop, which was actually sort of more about one single person's journey or dramatic journey throughout the the uh throughout the film so i i didn't think 
I, I never made any decision like, oh, this is in the beginning of a film, so it should look, you know, this and that. Yeah. Uh, but but there are other aspects of the film that that follows that sort of arc, of course. Uh, uh, but but I, reading the script, I think I I didn't I don't I don't think I picked up that part of the story as being so. It, it was not in the foreground as much, mm-hmm. I think, as in the final result. Uh, okay. And and it was maybe her sort of decision choices. I think they were even more uh, uh, what do you say? Like, like, I think the script. I think her situation came off as being sort of even more dire mm-hmm. <laughs> than in the film. So, so the way she sort of acts didn't feel any weird at all when you read the script, you know. And and I think there is a, a later uh, edit of the film as well. Uh, where the boyfriend comes across as being a bit more assholey <laughs> than, than in the first. And I think that's more because there are scenes in the script between them that sort of explains it a bit more. I think, you mm-hmm. know, this, uh, like how really, how how sort of lost she feels. Uh but but I I mean even reading the script I I picked up the the idea of this, which I also think is a challenge of of our time like how in what context do we feel really so uh, in a way sort of like we have a collective belonging mm-hmm. are we belonging to when we think about ourselves as being a part of collective what what is that collective you know. I think that's that's really interesting. Some of the stuff that you go back to kind of some of the yeah. identity politics and stuff you talked about before. I, the, you see a lot of these kind of extreme groups that pop up, right? And you have like, um, without getting too political, you have like yeah, the, yeah. the, the yeah. QAnon stuff in, yeah. in the US, right? Which objectively is kind of it's extreme but people gravitate towards it because they feel alone they feel a lack of belonging they Mm. find people who accept them Mm. and they kind of embrace it and i guess that's a very similar trajectory to what is kind of displayed in the movie as well yeah and i i don't think i mean there's in in the um, in the u.s there's a lot of theories about you know this book bowling alone which came out it's almost 20 years ago now Mm. but you know how how the fabric of society is sort of <laughs> getting thinner and thinner, and I think the for some people, I think the the Horgas uh, uh, they in some way they are are can be sort of seen as some kind of ideal for some people. You know, I, you, mm. you, if you if you want to sort of erase your sort of individuality for the price of being totally, as it says in the films, you're being carried, uh, and you are carrying others while you do it. I mean that prospect seems pretty nice in a way. <laughs> you know, I mean, even seeing the movie, I, I feel that I understand what she's longing for, and and a part of me also would, you know, like to be part of some kind of perfectly choreographed. So some kind of sort of meaning or or structured mm. uh, uh, coexistence with mm. others, uh, which sounds sort of horrible because it, you know you you see the bad sides of it also. But I think 
what what uh, what makes us as an audience so sort of uh, ambivalent to this film is that we we see the uh, it sort of calls to us. <laughs> I think that, yeah. that we we need our you know chat groups and, and there is something we seek this and I think you know again identity politics is partly a, a, a sign of that. That what what is it with me that I can sort of project so that I'm bigger than something more than just me as an individual? Mm-hmm. What part of my history, my heritage, or my my you know attitude or whatever can I sort of use to attach myself to these others? So even even if it's a religious background or you know skin color or the belief in conspiracy theories, but I, you know, we all have to sort of just use what we have to to create this connection and which means that we have a longing for this or maybe a lack of it you know in the our modern life i don't know but it's very it's very easy to to the count sounds like cliches because i in a lot of ways i think we're you know the modern world is pretty good too but uh yeah in the film, I, 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 I it, as as you said earlier, it's it's hard to look at the Horgas as being terrible mm. people. There's something with that. I think that's sort of part of the reason that they are actually just trying to make it work, you know, in a way. Yeah, and I think that's what kind of uh, differentiates it for me from kind of your more like traditional folk uh, folk horror stuff. Because in most of the stuff, so like The Wicker Man, it's like people yeah. on Summer Isle are obviously evil. From the outset, we know something is weird. We know things, yeah. things are wrong. But this yeah, one, again, it is... It's, yeah, it's, it's out in the open. Yeah. <laughs> From the beginning, you think, oh, okay, it's... Something's wrong. It? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's sort of a, a trap, even though that's a pretty nice... It, it's a very nice movie in a lot of ways, but... Uh, yeah, totally. Like, like they are sort of they have passed, you know, the point, you know, where they they will sort of never be. You can't forgive them, you know. They are sort of they have sort of crossed the line into this sort of uh, whatever uh, moral sort of control, or or, or you know, uh, you just want. <laughs> to burn the whole island down, <laughs> <laughs> some fresh. But the Horgas is another story. It's like you know, it's like oh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I was really curious to know. You've mentioned Ari a few times, and what it was like. You know, he he likes to move things around and stuff, and it's a little bit unpredictable. Mm-hmm. But how? And I guess the reason I want to ask this question is uh, going back a couple of years. He did uh, ask me anything on Reddit. And one of the questions, because of the nature of his films and stuff, someone just asked the question, Ari, are you okay? And he replied, no. And ever <laughs> since then, I've been really curious as to like, what is what is what is the man like? Like, what was it like working with him? Is it like he's obviously got a lot of these really dark stories and, and tales to tell. Um, but yeah, just curious as to, to what it was like working with Ari and um and uh, on the movie, and um, yeah, if you if you uh, do something like this again, uh, what should I, I mean, I think my situation doing this, and 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 I think I, I share this with a 
because when the project went sort of stateside, when mm. we got A24 or we, they got A24 as sort of a, a production company, there was this sort of everything became an American project or whatever. Uh, and there was like a core group of, of creatives involved that stayed on the project. And I think partly that was because uh, everybody in the, like the producers thought that, you know, if we need an art department that's supposed to mimic this central Swedish <laughs> heritage folk culture, maybe it's good to have them on. Yeah. <laughs> rather than, you know, <laughs> trying to find, find someone in LA to, to do that. So I think we, I mean, we who stayed on were there as a kind of, you know, the, the that's what we were there for. Uh, yeah. And uh, Henrik being the mastermind of, of the set design has been involved so long with everything, with the whole project. Uh, but that meant as well that, that I'm not, I think Ari and I, we had discussions like maybe two or three times, like almost everything I did just went into production. Mm -hmm. uh, I hope that it's because it was good. <laughs> but I can, I can, I can, I, I kind of realized that, that maybe he just trusted that we were sort of keeping it real. In, in We were doing what we were there for. And he wanted the authenticity, and that was not really his problem to to question mm -hmm. that for us. Uh, so I think on another project, uh, things might have been you know very different uh, because he he was placing this story in a setting that he, I mean, he's been to Sweden several times, but it's not like he knows about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I, I think he he just you know let, I'm letting them do their stuff and 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 as I said I I I'm not the set designer so I didn't have to 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 make anything work in a way that's sort of directly connected with the actual filming. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm just sort of painting my my aesthetic brush over everything. Uh, yeah. Uh, but but I mean I, I the, there's there's nothing sort of loony about him at all. I think he nice. has extreme control over what he's doing, <laughs> uh, in that way. But I mean the the, the experience I, I've never sort of directed film, but but one thing you you realize when you are involved in in film projects is how how loose the the matter is. You know, a film isn't a film until it's sort of edited and running on the screen. Mm -hmm. Up till that point, you can do a lot to change that, you know. So even if you're sort of, you have the script and, and you, because when I worked with my first film projects, I thought that a film was, you, you, you took the script and you sort of acted out what was in the script. And that was the film. Like the film was already the script was the story, and that sort of yeah. bad. You couldn't turn a, a, a comedy script into you know something serious or whatever. And then when you work with film a couple of times, you realize that you can almost make 
everything out of anything. And the weird thing is that you can almost change everything at any point of the production. <laughs> you can actually edit. You know, you have the same footage, you have the same hard disk drives with with film sequences, and you can turn it into almost any kind of story when you're finished. Which means that nobody who's involved, including the director, is hundred percent sure what the hell is. <laughs> Where are we going to land? You know. Uh, and and if 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 some actor is doing something in a special way, if some of the set design is done in a special way, if the weather or some other condition is you know acts up in some way, that might sort of change the the artistic direction at the end of the project. You know what I mean? It's like you, you you're always trying to. And that's, I guess, comes back to what I'm saying. Like, if there's something that is pushing you, try to set the sail using that force. Mm. Uh, and I, that I'm, I'm positive that directors and I've been editing some films as well. And I, and it's it's surprising how much uh, of the result and the sort of the artistic result is actually happening in the edit room when you when you sort of. You see that um, some scenes are stronger, and they are stronger in a certain way. So maybe the whole film should be sort of <laughs> leaning. Yeah. We, we make everything lean heavier on those topics or those sort of uh, moments in the film. The end result will get better, even though we've sort of derived a little bit from the, what we thought we were going for in the beginning. Uh, so that's it's a extremely complex, and then the director shows the edit to the like the production company, and then they they say, ah, this is not what we envisioned, you know, do mm. it again, and you know, and you go back and maybe you say, oh, well, we can tweak like this, and then we go back and like, yeah, now it's finished, you know. So <laughs> it's, it's really like a, it's it's a lump of clay in the last moment. It's really extraordinary, and that. Mm. that that I think not most, and it's of course it's differences between different films and different productions. Uh, the more money you get, the more controlled you have to be, you know. But I think it's true in a lot of ways for for all filmmaking uh, that yeah. you are really shaping uh, everything at every step of the way. And you, you mentioned the production company there, and I think. Um... A24 certainly in recent years and you know they've put out things like Midsummer, everything everywhere all at once like there's they're really taking a lot of I don't know if risks is the right word but certainly movies that big studios aren't necessarily going to hedge their bets on and it must be quite refreshing working in that kind of environment where my assumption is maybe you have a bit more creative freedom um, with a project like this yeah I I would say I mean they I don't know what kind of sort of freedom or pressure, because I think it can work both ways. But I, I've definitely, you know, what they have done, if you know, <laughs> production is doing anything. <laughs> but uh, they've, they've, for some reason, they have been behind a lot of interesting uh, uh, films and TV uh, productions. Uh, so there's something they're doing that's working for our mm. benefits. That's for sure. Uh, 
but I'm not really sure if it's because they're not meddling or if they are meddling. <laughs> it's it's uh, uh, I don't know, but but uh, absolutely, I think they are sort of when I don't know when when HBO started making TV series, you had this there's a kind of a touch and a taste to everything, uh, which was very uh, and I think A24 is at this date is sort of they are behind almost everything that you know makes you look twice uh mm. which is what the industry needs and it, and it, it sort of it goes in waves and and uh, you get sort of after a while maybe you you feel like oh it looks like an a24 movie you know like you would <laughs> and then somebody else has to come up and inject something else into the system yeah. so that's how yeah. it it's always interesting because the the only other and this is a weird comparison, but I'm going to stand by it. The only other one I could think of in my head is like early day Pixar. Because right. yeah. regardless of the film mm. and the story they were telling, if it was a Pixar mm. film, you would watch it. Mm. And you kind of got that with A24 yeah. now, where just knowing it's A24, mm. which is w- weird if you think about it, is enough to make me go, mm. oh, you yeah. know what? I will watch it then. I will. It's obviously going to be good. Yeah. Um, Mother, uh, I mean, I, I think the comparison. I, I can think I'm. I I think I'm a bit older than you are, but like in the '90s, there was a lot of like British record labels mm. that you could sort of like warp, like FX Twin, yeah. and the, like if something was released on a label, you bought it in the store without listening <laughs> because. You had this like it was like a taste filter or like yeah, yeah. guaranteed something you know and I think I think that's how HBO worked in the beginning as well you know it's like oh this new series out on HBO and you just it became almost like you subscribed which you actually did but <laughs> you know what I'm saying it's like you, you got a new TV series in your mailbox and you just watched it yeah. because, like you, you, and and A24 has that kind of position now i i guess uh so it's more like a record label or, or yeah and a film house ah, and they, uh, yeah. i think they are sort of acknowledging that the cultural sort of significance because they are doing all this merch and stuff which is sort of has this 360 degree attitude which mm-hmm. i think is also very modern in a way that you don't like you guys are example you don't stop consuming culture just because the end titles <laughs> are yeah, yeah. you know it's a, yeah, yeah. can become a part of your life or whatever you're 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 dabbling with you in your life you know for for uh for all aspects of life really for a long time after uh you actually sort of part taken or or bought the ticket or whatever so I think it's it's cool that they are acknowledging that that aspect yeah, of consuming culture as well. Absolutely. Well, and yeah, and maybe that's a, that's a good place to end it because you're right. We we are keeping keeping the midsummer love going. Um, <laughs> this is this is our third uh, special for midsummer. We also, I think, in uh, so we 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 do a film recommendation every week, uh, every episode, and there is a film recommendation, and then there is also a midsummer recommendation because we remind people every week they should be watching midsummer. So oh, I think. That's... We've done it 156 times. Is that right? 
163. One of them was recommending a double bill of Midsummer, which no one should do. One of them was a bad one of them was a bad pun of Midsummer of 69. So we counted wow. that as 69. <laughs> and then uh someone recommended Midsummer, but imagine Nicolas Cage was in it. Yeah. Um <laughs> so yeah, I mean that that's so we're, we're gonna keep doing that this. this film could have ended up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. But I must uh, I must ask you have you, have you you do know that Horga is actually a real place. Yes. No. Yeah. I yeah, didn't yeah. realize that. Oh wow. And, and uh, I because w whenever I go skiing like if, when you I go from Stockholm to northern Sweden mm. about like halfway uh I pass this sign mm. Horga which is you know there's a, like a legend around this place that's actually not part of the backstory in the movie but it's a story in itself like the and maybe you know about it already or i don't know I, I'm, I'm not sure about the story of the town no no but uh, the area. Uh, like, like the the horga is a mountain but it's like very small because this is sort of in the middle of sweden and the story goes that the youngsters were sort of uh, gathering to dance up at the the Horga mountain and then the the devil came and maybe i'm getting this wrong but it, the geist of the story is like the the devil turned up and started to play and uh, uh people started dancing and then they couldn't stop dancing and he played and he played and and uh, uh, at the end they were their feet had worn down so they were dancing on the skeleton like the the bones of their limbs. Mm -hmm. and then you know everybody died or something and and you know, <laughs> uh, i guess the morale is that if you dance you're going to have sex and everything and so just right. stay out of there <laughs> but like three years ago like after working with a movie and and like maybe three years ago and i was going up to the mountains in the summertime uh and then i passed it was like maybe nine o'clock in the evening and uh i was driving my sort of mobile home type car and uh i saw the sign and i said i said i've never actually been there and this is you know i've worked on this movie and everything so i have to so i i left the main road and took this sort <laughs> of uh and when i came up there and there's like uh it's not a national park but it's sort of a recreation it's it's the wilderness it's a mountain and I parked the car, and it was like like starting to get dark or dusky. Uh, and I I thought there was oh uh, you know, and then there was a map, and there was like a trail. So I actually went up there. So I was there almost at midnight. Uh, and there is this quite extraordinary. It's like an an enormous, uh, like stone, like a shelf. Like a huge uh, uh, flat stone surface, which is according to legend is like where they dance, like the dance floor. Yeah. And there is a small cabin, uh, which is sort of kept by the villagers who live there, and and it's open, so you, you can actually hike up there and stay the night if you want to. And I'm not very easily scared, but it was definitely <laughs> you know kind of ambience around that yeah. place. In the middle of the summer night, because it it never gets dark, but it's sort of the shadows are very yeah. high, uh, 
Uh, and I was thinking when I returned, uh, like, it's kind of cool that nobody around that area has picked up on the success of the film. Like, mm. they could sell some kind of package. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, at the same time, I was like, oh, I'm going to mail them and everything. But then I, was, then I felt this, it's kind of cool that, that they are sort of keeping the that part of the tradition because that, there's a small sign with the like the original uh, uh, legend with the devil's uh, violin and everything. Uh, but it, but it definitely has the kind of sort of eerie feeling. Yeah. Uh, because when I came up there and the like the the wood cleared and I saw that stone tablet, I saw the little little hut. No, I'm done. I'm done. But then, because it was there, and because I was there, I had to go in there, and it was always cool. But yeah. it's up for if anybody wants to to come to Sweden and, and experience that. That's my travel tip. Maybe that's where we'll have to do the fourth year. We'll do it on location. <laughs> yeah, in, in the, in the <laughs> in freaky the cabin yeah, yeah. where the devil told people to dance. <laughs> yeah. But I think, uh, yeah, I think that is only thing left to say is. Uh, Neela, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you taking time out of your uh, your your day. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll have you back on at some point. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's always fun to 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 uh, discuss interesting things and uh, love your work and everything. And uh, I'm looking forward to the actual episode. Uh, and uh, take care in the meantime. And that was our interview with art director Neela Svensson. You would have just heard me thank him, but thanks once again to Neela for taking not just the time, but a considerable amount of time uh, to sit and talk with us about the film. Really does mean a lot to us, uh, especially as a small independent podcast. It is really nice when people who are involved in the, not just the medium we love, but literally our favourite film. <laughs> Take the time to talk out, to, uh, talk to us. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Um, once again, thanks to Petros for supporting us in trying to uh, get guests. Um, with that in mind, obviously, if anybody else involved with the film wants to come on the podcast to talk to us, we're not going to say no. Same time next year, I guess. So, you know, you guys have uh, 12 months to figure out exactly how we can get in touch with Florence Pugh. If you enjoyed this episode, if you have any thoughts about Midsummer, if you've, I, I I love when you guys message us to tell us that you have watched Midsummer because of us. It is, it really does make my day every single time. And to be fair, I think everybody who's watched it because of us has fucking liked it. There's been a couple things of holy shit that was dark or that was bleak or why the hell did you make me watch that it was great but Jesus Christ Ian but it really does make my day when you guys message us so if you have you can find us on Instagram at the podcast nobody asked for you can also find us on Patreon at the podcast nobody asked for where you can become a friend of the podcast help support us moving forward there's various tiers there's a Midsummer themed tier where you can get a copy of uh, Midsummer: the director's cut on Blu-ray there is a midsummer themed t-shirt on one of the tiers it's a lot of midsummer related stuff for, for obvious reasons but we would truly appreciate you guys signing up 
Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at nobody asked for pod with the number four, and you can find all of our episodes and all of this details and some random top three lists about Graham and I on the podcast nobodyaskedfor.co.uk. We would also appreciate that wherever you're listening to this, uh, if you can leave a review, leave a review for us. And in that review, put any future episode ideas you may have, and we'll make sure that we do our favourite ones. Thanks again. It's difficult to do, like, the hilarious non-sequitur ending. I'm not even sure if non-sequitur is the right word. You know who would know what the right word was? Graham. Or Neela, to be fair. Or probably anyone else but me. Ugh, no one asked for this.